we'd like to welcome you back to our uh, study that we're doing on tattoos, body modifications, and piercings. And we're going to pick up with part two here, and back to the article. Please note, the King James Scripture says, The mark shall be in the hand or the forehead, not on. Could this be because the Lord knew an insert would be used rather than a simple surface mark? I suppose you could say that the mark of the beast is the ultimate satanic insert. Once again, we could see such great evidences that our society is being uh, conditioned to accept the black magic Satanism of Antichrist. It seems like we see inserts everywhere in our society today. Well, we see earrings galore, plus rings in the nose, the eyelids, the tongue, the belly button, and every other place you could imagine. If the person who is inserting these devices is a practicing Satanist or a cultist, you could very, at least, you could very well be at least afflicted and maybe demonically possessed without even being aware of it. Anyone who gives assent to being pierced gives Satan and his demons the legal ground they need to come in, uh, come into you. Finally, remember that demonic possession does not generally give a person that uncontrollable falling down and writhing behavior most people associate with demon possession. Most possessed people act very normally most of the time. However, at the time of the demon's choosing, the possessed person will suddenly come under the control of the demon. I think the prime time in history for this sudden control to occur will be when the Antichrist arises. Think about that. It's like demonic sleeper cells. Literally, demons kind of laying low right now, and when the Antichrist comes to power, or when that, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to point, all of a sudden, these people that might have appeared to be sane, to a certain extent, all of a sudden are going to have a big, big mind shift change. And they're going to be totally directed to the Antichrist, and to that Antichrist system. Uh, I think it's prime time in history for the sudden control to occur will be when the Antichrist arises and will factor heavily into the vast majority of peoples of the world accepting him. At that moment, all possessed people will suddenly be under the control of their demon masters. It's a good point to think about. Thus will be fulfilled the prophecy, uh, Revelation 13, 3 and 4, And all the world wondered after the beast, and they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Very true. Now I understand how it is possible that so many billions of people will fall fall all over themselves to worship the Antichrist. Many will be possessed by different means, but possessed nevertheless. And when the demon inside them says, Worship him, the poor deluded and unsaved Human beings will comply. The mark of the beast will just be the last in a long line of satanic inserts and the most effective. Further, it will be backed by the ultimate in satanic black magic power. Truly, the end of the age is very close. Now, uh, next article is from the Daily Mail reporter and it's entitled The Mexican Vampire Mother with titanium horns and tattoos on every inch of her body. Now, this woman doesn't even look remotely human anymore. And again, she's got that whole thing where she's got her hair all back and, and shaved really back far on her forehead and on the sides of her head and she's got spikes coming out of her uh, she's got implants underneath her skin, horns that are actually bulging the skin out. Tattoos over 100% of her body, spiked collar, ears, those stretched ears where they have the big thing in the middle, uh, looks like contact lenses or something in her eyes where they don't even look human, uh, chains, piercings, just, it's so disgusting, it's so vile, I, I, I don't even know how to describe it, you just have to it's be on page 6 of the PDF for this particular teaching, 6 or 7. Anyway, she was trained, she was a trained lawyer, this woman. From a deeply religious family who married at the age of 17. But Maria Jose Cristerna, a 35-year-old mother of four from Mexico, is known as Vampire Woman after becoming a tattoo artist and taking her body art to the extreme. Most people that are tattoo artists do this kind of stuff to a certain extent. I mean, they practice what they preach. She says she turned to body art after suffering years of domestic abuse. Oh, I can see why you'd want to turn to body art after... Domestic abuse. I mean, people, I guess, will give all kind of insane reasons for doing what they do. She's got this gigantic demon tattooed on her, is it her right arm? 
She's covered head to toe, I guess. She has tattooed almost 100% of her body, had titanium horns implanted under her skull, and dental implants that give her fangs. The horns I have are a symbol of strength and were implanted without anesthetic. Wow. That is tough. I'll give her that. I mean, I believe the demons, uh, these people get to the point where they, they, they seek this satanic pain. And they do a lot of these things that we'll talk a little bit more about. That uh, they, they, they seek this pain that comes about from the piercing. It's like a high that they get. It's like these kids that cut themselves. I think they're called emo or whatever. And bloodletting and, you know, all this satanic garbage. Well, it's totally demonic. And we're going to look more at that. But um, she said, I had fangs done because I love vampires as a little girl. And I changed the color of my eyes so they were how I really wanted them to be. I mean, it's it's, it's just grievous to even look at these pictures. Totally covered, Maria claims to live a normal life with her four children and at her home in Mexico. Yeah, she's just your normal housewife. I don't think she's married or whatever, but... uh, Yeah. Anyway, she showed off her looks at a tattoo exhibition in California. uh, Monterey, California, but her transformation is not even yet complete. Uh, she says she wants to have more titanium horns implanted in the back of her head. Money well spent, you know. And all, the, all this money that people spend on garbage like this. All the good. I, I think of, I look at all the good that money could have done. You know what I mean? Orphans and widows and, you know, worthy ministries and things of this nature. And no, they, they just want to, they just spend it on just totally satanic garbage. Because their mind is so darkened. That, you know, this is what they view as good. Now, I found this also, this is not part of the information I had tucked away regarding the subject. And it's called the Church of Body Modification. As the followers of this faith, it is our purpose to educate and inspire. Now, this is from their statement of faith. The Church of Body Modification. This is an actual religion. Okay. As followers of this faith, it is our purpose to educate and inspire and to share ideas and to help each other achieve our dreams. It's always about us, me, me, and me regarding these cults. We strive to unify and strengthen our mind and body and soul so we can overcome any challenges we may encounter. We assert and protect our rights to modify our bodies and to practice our rituals. So see, understand, witchcraft is... Intricately related with body modification. Okay? Intricately. We believe our bodies belong to only ourselves. You know what? When you die, you're going to understand your body never did belong to you. Because you're not going to possess that body anymore. God owns everything in the universe. Everything. It's not your body. Nothing really belongs to us. Once we exit our body, that will be very evident. So I'm talking Christians and non-Christians. But we believe our bodies belong to only ourselves and our our whole and integrated entity, mind, body, and soul. We maintain we have the right to alter them for spiritual and other reasons. They're doing this for spiritual They're appeasing the demons that are guiding them to do this, in other words. Affirmation of our living, breathing, physical beings is paramount for our self-identities. Oh, yeah. It's always about, again, it's about self-centered garbage. Self is really the root of all sins. Self. I know the love of money is the root of all sins, but the root of all evil. But self is really the root of all sins. Serving the God of self. Affirmation of our living, breathing, and physical beings is paramount for our self-identities and helps define who we are. The Church of Body Modification promotes affirmation and growth of a more expansive perspective of our physical and spiritual beings. Mission Statement. We, the congregation of the Church of Body Modification, will always respect our bodies. 
a more asinine statement I don't think was ever uttered. Respect your bodies. Everything that you're doing shows that you don't do that. We promise to always grow as individuals through body modification and what it can teach about us and who we are and what we can do. We honor all forms of body modification and those who choose to practice body modification for any reason. We support all that join us in our mission and help those that seek us in need of spiritual guidance. Yes, definitely I want to go to some satanically possessed body modification minister for spiritual guidance. Definitely, you're not going to go wrong with that. You know. Uh, then it goes on to say, we strive to share a positive message with everyone we encounter in order to act as positive role models. Oh, I mean, I can't imagine a better role model than than this than these ministers and these church of body modification. And, uh, positive role models for future generations of the body modification community. This is so ridiculous, what I'm reading. It's hard to even read. We always uphold basic codes of ethics. <laughs> oh, my word. Satanic ethics, yeah. And encourage others to do the same. My word, I mean, th- th- these guys lie more than politicians. I mean, it, it reminded me, it reminds me of an Obama speech. You know, everything coming out of the guy's mouth is the opposite of what reality actually is. And it just, they just lie like rugs. That, that, that's, that's all we're getting here. Just pure, unmitigated lies. And then they list their ministers in the Church of Body Modification. Tiffany Hahn, David Hahn, Jason Morningstar, and Richard Ivey. Uh, and they give their bio, and the links are here if you want to click on them. I wouldn't advise it, but anyway. Jason Morningstar, I'm just going to look at a couple of their ministers. Jason Morningstar, initiate minister. Uh, what do you see as your major strengths or talents? They're Q&A here. We're going to get some hardcore truth from Jason Morningstar, which is probably a knockoff of Bright and Morning Star in the Bible, of where it talks about that in Isaiah 14.12. Um... Actually, Isaiah 14.12 in the NIV and all the false versions say Morning Star, which is actually um, links, if you have a reference Bible, over to Revelation, which you would get confused if the Morning Star was actually Satan or Jesus, or thinking that they may be one and the same. This is all the more one of the reasons that you only want to read a KJV. Because the KJV renders Isaiah 14.12 as, How art thou fallen from Lucifer, O um, uh, how, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? It doesn't say morning star. It says son of the morning. An NIV reference Bible will render it morning star, which will then take you over to Revelation, where Jesus Christ is talked about as the bright and morning star. So, I got a feeling that this devil here changed his last name to be a knockoff of that particular thing. Anyway... 14 years of experience in the field of body modification is Jason Morningstar. Um, his ta- major strengths are talents. Compassionate. He's so compassionate to these people when he counsels them as he takes them into the he- pit of hell and, and points them toward Lucifer. That's really compassionate. Compassion is to tell people the truth. Whether the truth is brutally hard, that's not for you to decide. It's It's... We should put forth truth. But he's compassionate. And he has an extensive background in magic, ritual, shamanism, and religion. His talents, I produce 80% of my own jewelry. Yeah, and I my comment was, it's cursed jewelry. And a lot of this jewelry, I'm sure, is what's actually implanted when they do the body modification. He can perform piercings, scarification, and brandings. Isn't that special? Um, scarification, where they actually will brand you. That's another form of body modification. They'll actually take a branding iron and brand your arm, creating this scar or this keloid type scar. They're, they're horrific looking. I've seen them before. A lot of um, uh, college and pro football players have those. They brand you. 
uh, with a branding iron. And um, that's totally demonic as well. He studied as a pagan priest for 10 years. I mean, there's no red flags here. Come on. Uh, he studied many different world religions. Oh, I'm sure he has. And I am looked to many as a spiritual and ritual guide. I have consulted many in both physiological and religious matters. Yeah, I'm sure you're going to get some solid advice from him. And then the next guy, David Hahn, minister uh, of the First Church of or Church of Body Modification. His biography, knowledge and experience. I crave both. I, I always have. Even as a young man, I had a thirst for knowing and a hunger for gathering life's lessons to me. A chance encounter with a book about mind over matter and what yogis of India were capable of doing with their heart rate, breathing, and susceptibility to pain started me on the path of body modification. So see, here's some nice fruits of uh, Hinduism where this guy had a chance encounter with a book about what these yogis can do with their heart rate and their breathing and their, their susceptibility to pain. That's what got him started down this road of body modification. I became obsessed with what the body was capable of, both in short term, hence my early experiments with play piercing, sounds, you know, or whatever, pretty demonic, and in the long term, leading to my first piercings in my late teens. This obsession was started after a journey, a spiritual and physical path, that has never ended. It'll end in hell, my friend. I mean, I'm sorry, but I hope you get saved, but... It will end in hell. Uh, after I left college, I began decorating my temple, as I put it. Well, the Bible does refer to um, you're the temple of the Holy Ghost, uh, as born-again Bible-believing Christians. Well, he says, after I left college, I began decorating my temple, meaning his body, as I put it. I threw myself into modifying my own body. Through piercing and tattooing, not so slowly amassing nearly 20 tattoos, ranging from religious icons that called me to pop culture symbols and characters that harken back to my childhood. Uh, and more than a dozen piercings. I also branched out into more extreme forms of modification, such as a four and a half hour flesh removal of my right calf. What? Now, where do I sign up for that? Who doesn't want to, who in their right mind doesn't want to go through a four and a half hour flesh removal of your right calf? And I'm sure God led you to do all this. Right? No, your God did. Small g. Whatever demons are totally possessing you. Four hour flesh removal of my right calf. And then numerous of other ritual cuttings and scarifications. Countless flesh pulls, and numerous suspensions. He says, I love Supermans. Now, a lot of you are saying, what are you talking about? You know what that is? That's when they take, like, you get, um, I, I didn't put any pictures because it's so disgusting. They'll take you, and they you get piercings, a lot of it, usually they'll do it in your back because it's where you have the least amount of nerve endings so you can handle the pain better. And they'll put hooks in your flesh, and you lay down, and they'll they'll lift you. Once they get enough hooks in your flesh where you can your body weight can be supported, they lift you up, and you're hanging, bleeding, fresh bleeds by the hooks. And a Superman is where you actually get the whole body like in a Superman position, and they and they suspend you, and supposedly it's just extreme pain. But they, the, it, you're feeding the demons in you. By cutting yourself. And we're going to look at biblical examples of that. You, if you like pain, if, if you like you like that feeling, like the, these emo kids that cut themselves and stuff, and they bloodlet, and, and these people that do this, and this body modification, I mean, it is pain. I mean, I see these people that get these things through their tongues. I'm thinking, oh, man, I can't even imagine. Through their lips. Some of the most sensitive parts of your body, other parts of the body I can't even mention. And, you know, I had this one, this one guy that had come out of the charismatic church with me. And, you know, he ended up going back in. But, I mean, you know, he went back in and basically he ended up getting, you know, tattoos. 
well, you know, I, I want to look like the world in order to reach the world. That's their justification. Do you see Jesus Christ doing that at all? Well, yeah, but Jesus reached out to prostitutes and tax collectors. Yes, he reached out to them, but he never participated in their sins. That was the big difference. He didn't sin that grace may, be, may abound. He did the exact opposite. He reached out to them because he had compassion. That's true compassion. But he didn't participate in their sins to make them feel like one of the guys. You know? So he, he could act as though. This this guy that came out of the charismatic church with me, I mean, you know, he got, you know, nipple piercings and the earrings and the whole nine yards, tattoos all over. And, I, you know, I tried to talk to him. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm like I told you before that this is all an abomination to God. And he had no answer for me. And finally, I just got to a point where after years of trying to help him, I just, I'm like, I'm done. The Bible says a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. I'm not going to burn my time anymore on somebody that has no desire whatsoever. And into all this hyper-charismatic stuff that we came out of that he knows better about, went right back into it, and it even went worse. You know, the whole hard rock Christian thing, the, the piercings, the tattoos, I mean, you know, I bore with him for a long time, but <laughs> there comes a point when, you know, you just a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. So, that's what these suspensions are, that a lot of people that are into body modification get into. They're called suspensions. And I've seen very graphic pictures of it. It's just absolutely, horrifically disgusting. Now, let's go to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about a lot of this stuff. Now, what we're going to be doing right now is we're going to be just be looking at earrings. Okay? Let's look at every single time, just like we did with Gog and Magog. We looked at every single instance in the Bible where that was used. We compare scripture with scripture and I think the the uh, it's very easy to see where you know where God stands on a particular thing or what He's clearly instructing about a particular event. Okay, first time earrings the word earrings are used in the Bible Genesis thirty five two. Then Jacob said unto his household and to them that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean and change your garments. Next verse and let us arise and go to Bethel. This is where they're going to get right with God. And I will make an altar unto God, the God of the Bible, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob, all that were with them, all their strange gods, which were in their hand, and all their earrings, which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak, which was by Shechem. Now, does that sound like an endorsement for earrings to you? I mean, what is, you look at, you compare scripture with scripture. Okay, they're getting right with God. What happened? They gave Jacob all their strange gods, which were in their hand, their idols. And also, what's associated with that? And all their earrings, which were in their ears. Doesn't sound like an endorsement for earrings to me. Sounds like they had lapsed into paganism. They had idols and they had earrings and when they got right with God, all that stuff was gone. Okay. And then the next verse. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. What does that mean? They got right with God and when they got right with God in their journey, the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. In other words, God put the fear of God on their enemies. Once they got rid of their idols and their earrings out of their ears, and they got right with God. Okay? Okay, let's go further. Not convinced yet? Exodus 32, 2 through 32, 4. And Aaron, now this is, this is when they're making the old golden calf, remember? After God just mightily delivered them out of Egypt through the, the Red Sea crossing killed the Egyptians and had sent all the seven, you know, all the plagues on Pharaoh after they had witnessed all that stuff. Moses is up communing with God on Mount Sinai and they get impatient and their faith starts to waver or whatever. Well, this was what their remedy for that was. Um, 
Exodus 32.2, And Aaron, which was acted as the, their priest, and Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, and of your sons, and of your daughters. So everybody was wearing earrings, in this particular case. Okay. And bring them unto me. Remember, they just come out of Egypt. They still had a ton of baggage from Egypt. Spiritual baggage. And this was a manifestation of the spiritual baggage. These earrings. And bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears. And brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. After he had made it a molten calf. And they said, these be thy gods, O Israel. Which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Can you imagine? Ooh, you can un- you can understand why God said, "Let me just destroy them all now, and I'll I'll raise up a new generation." And Moses had to basically beg him not to do it. They're they're basically giving this stupid, dumb calf that they made from the earrings in their ears, and saying, "This be our God that brought us out of the land of Egypt." They're giving this golden calf the credit for all the stuff that God had just done for them? Man! God is long-suffering. No doubt. I mean, that's like, wow. Talk about trying to provoke God. Anyway, that's what they use their earrings to make the old golden calf. Okay. Not exactly a an endorsement, I'd have to say, so far for earrings. Okay, let's go to the next verse. Uh, let's see here. Exodus 35, 22. And they came both forth, uh, both, and I'm, all these verses are listed in the PDF for this teaching. Um, and so, if you don't believe me, just read them. And if you, if you don't believe I gave you all the verses, do a keyword search. They're all in here. Every time earrings is used in the Bible. So, let's go further. Uh <clears throat> Okay, Exodus 35, 22. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets of, and tablets, all jewels of gold, and every man that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. Okay, so that's the next verse. Okay, so these are, in this particular case, they're taking off Various forms of jewelry and offering this as an offering of gold unto God. Okay, not an endorsement for earrings. Okay, in this particular case, they're doing this as an offering unto God. Uh, then we go to Numbers thirty-one fifty. We have therefore brought an oblation for the Lord. What every man hath gotten of jewels and gold, chains and bracelets, rings, earrings and tab- tablets, to make an atonement for our souls before the Lord. Um, before the Lord. Again, it's, it's, it's an offering to the Lord. It's not an endorsement. It's, an, it's something they were actually giving. It's almost like they were repenting, is, is the way it appears. Judges 8.24 uh, through 26. What does Judges 8.24 through 8.26 say? And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you that you would give me every man, I believe this is Gideon's army, uh, when they went to battle, would give me every man the earrings of his prey. The army, or the men that Gideon's army was fighting, he wanted the earrings of these men. Okay? Of his prey. The men that had been slaughtered. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Now that doesn't sound like a really good example or an endorsement for earrings. They were Ishmaelites. Remember, Ishmael uh, was born under... I believe Hagar, who was the, um, who had, uh, Abraham had, had a sexual union with because of a lack of faith issue there, and they didn't believe Sarah could conceive. So what ends up happening is she bears Ishmael, and he's not the chosen one, though. He's not the, he was basically born out of a running ahead of God type of thing on Abraham's part. So, Ishmaelites, although they were allowed to propagate and, pro- and to a certain extent, I guess, prosper from a number standpoint, um, these are considered people that, you know, became pagan 
essentially. They were not, you know, they've never been associated with true Bible-believing Christianity. You could make a case for the fact that the Ishmaelites are, are um, in large part, the people that occupy the Middle East to this very day. And all the problems that has created. I mean, look at Islam. Look at the Muslims. Okay? And the Bible talked about Ishmael, you know, being a, a wild man, and his hand would be against every man. And, you know, that's what a lot of times you view if you do, uh, if you look at Islam and the Muslims and these types of things, these, these wild, um, almost savage-like way that they behave and they act, particularly the more militantly Muslim they become. So, they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And that's not a, that's not an endorsement. That's a condemnation. Okay? Um, and then the next verse, and they answered, we willingly give them and they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand, a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian and beside the chains that were about the camels of the necks. Okay? So that, this is what they took from their pagan adversaries. Okay, let's go further. Isaiah... 3.17, therefore the Lord will smite, now this is Isaiah 3.17 through 26. And I have to read all these verses in order to get the point across here, the full context of the verse. Because if I just read the verse like where it talks about earrings, you're not going to understand. You have to read the full context. So Isaiah 3.17 says, therefore the Lord will smite with the scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion. And the Lord will discover their secret parts. And this is God's judgment on the daughters of Zion. Okay, so you could say this is the daughters of, of Israel or daughters of Jerusalem. In that day, the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their calls. These are different forms of jewelry they were wearing. And their calls in their round tires like the moon. These aren't like tires on a car now. These are. This is a biblical... Um, reference to different forms of jewelry back in those days. And their chains and their bracelets and their mufflers. Here we have another car reference. We have tires and mufflers. No, it's not the tires and mufflers of today. Okay, and cars. It's, it's And again, we could do a whole study on that, but anyway. And the bonnets and the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings and the rings and the nose jewels and the changeable suits of apparel and the mantles and the wimples and the crisping pins, and the glasses, and the fine linen, and the, and the hoods, and the veils. All these things to beautify a woman's body. Okay? And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet, of sweet smell, there shall be a stink. And instead of a girdle, a rent. And instead of a well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a stomacher, of girding of sackcloth, and burning, instead of beauty. Uh, and thy men shall fall by the sword in the mighty men of war, in the war. And her gates shall lament and mourn, and she shall be desolate, shall sit upon the ground. So, these are women that have done all this stuff to beautify their body, and God said, I'm going to take all that away, I'm going to make you to lament and mourn, and, and desolate, and sit on the ground, I'm going to take all this away, you're going to stink, you're going to, um, your garments are going to be torn, you're going to have baldness instead of hair, and you're going to be in sackcloth, and instead of, bur of, of beauty, you're going to have burning. And earrings is mentioned in that context. So again, I'm, I'm comparing scripture with scripture. Have we seen any real clear endorsement of wearing earrings? I haven't seen any. I've seen a lot of that subject being surrounded with paganism or God's judgment. Or rebelling against God in the case of creating a golden calf through the earrings. I mean, that's how... I mean, they come out of Egypt. They've just been in Egypt for a long, long time, this whole generation. Can you say Egypt would have imparted anything good to them from a scriptural nature? I don't think so. Okay, so let's go further. Uh, let's see here. Ezekiel sixteen twelve. Through 15, and I will put a jewel on thy forehead and earrings in thine ears, a beautiful crown upon thine head. Now, if you just read that verse by itself, you'll think, well, yeah, here's an endorsement for earrings right here. 
because this is God talking. I will put a jewel in thy forehead and earrings in thine ears and a beautiful crown upon thine head. Thus wast thou decked with gold and silver and thy raiment was of fine linen and silk and broidered work. Thou didst eat fine flour and honey and oil and wast exceedingly beautiful and thou didst prosper in a kingdom. All sounds good, right? Okay, let's verse. And thy renown went forth among the heathen for thy beauty. Oh, that's a little more questionable. Why would the heathen, if this was all, you know, God blessing them, why would the renown go forth among the heathen for the beauty? For it was perfect through my comeliness, which I had put upon thee, saith the Lord God. But thou didst trust in thine own beauty, and playest the harlot because of thy renown. And poured out thy fornications upon every one that passed by, his it was. Now God's judgment would come, because God allowed this particular uh, woman, or let's say group of women, collectively, to be lifted up through all of these things, through their earrings, through the jewels, through all the stuff, through the, through the um, apparel and clothing that they wore. God, a lot of times, will let you have it your way for a time, in other words. In order for that person even to, to be lifted up, so that God can... It's like the further they get lifted up, the further they're going to have to fall when God judges them. And he lets that happen for a reason. He did it in Hosea too. Gomer, when you, when you look at uh, like Hosea uh, and that whole story about Gomer, he let, it, he let the whore have it her way for a time period. And then the judgment came and great was the fall thereof. And then the person could look back and say, oh my, my, what have I done? Because they were so far lifted up, when they did fall, the fall was greater than if they had just been lifted up a little bit. In other words, God let them have it their way for a time, and then he judged them. He kicked the slats out from under them when they got way, way high lifted up. God does that many times in the Bible. Well, this is another example of that. So you can't say this is an endorsement for earrings. Particularly in light of all the other scriptures we've just went over, and all the material we've covered, and we're not even close to being done. So let's go further. Hosea 2.13 And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, uh, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with earrings, a false god, basically, the days of Balaam, uh, when she burned incense to them. Who do you burn incense to? To a false god. Okay. And she decked herself with earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. So in other words, here we got have earrings in being connection with going after false gods, um, with going after lovers, fornication, forgetting God. It's all connected with earrings and jewelry, essentially, as, as well, you know. But I think it's different when you actually pierce the skin. Let's go further. Now, I said all that to say this. What does the Bible talk about with women the way they should dress, particularly New Testament. Now, you could do a whole study on that, but if you just go to 1 Peter 3, through three verses 1 through 5, it says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also be without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. So in other words, the wife is, if she's married to a husband who's unsaved, she actually may win the husband um, by basically her appearance, by her actions, uh, by being a Christian in general, okay? And there's other places it talks about that. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, fear of God. Chaste conversation, meaning that the unsaved husbands are, are going to look at this and say, you know, wow, this is, she's she really has, she's changed, she's different, she's, you know, they may be one to the Lord Jesus Christ through the actions of the wives. Okay, And then, whose adorning, meaning these wives, let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of the hair and of the wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. And this may be real tough for a lot of women to hear, but I'm just telling you, this is what the Bible says. The plating of the hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of apparel, the Bible says, let it not be that way, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that uh, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. It, 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 basically, the Bible says the ornament, meaning the ornament God wants to see for a woman 
Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that men should dress appropriately as well. But in this particular context, the ornament, it's almost like they're trying to do this through jewelry, through earrings, through these types of things, this outward appearance thing, but the the which would be considered like an ornament, right? Well, the ornament God wants to see is the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is an of which is in the sight of God of great price. You know, honestly, I don't know anything more to me more attractive than a woman that actually behaves in that manner. I don't really see it a lot. I'm not saying that that you know I'm not obviously in like a 501c3 corporate church setting, but you you just don't see that a whole lot. The ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. And um, But I do think that to a Christian man, that would be very, very attractive. And I don't mean in a lustful way. I'm just saying that is that is attractive. To me, I know that. Because it's rare to see it and it's so godly. Meek and a quiet spirit. It is godly. It's attractive. Um, so anyway, which is in the sight of God, great price. So you could say, well, I don't really care because I'm going to be stiff-necked and hard-nosed and, and do it my way. Well, I'm telling you, there's no Bible for that. It's in the sight of God of great price. So take my opinion out of it. In the sight of God, for a woman to act that way, that's the ornament a woman that God wants to see an or, uh, a woman put on is the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Not the outward, all the outward stuff that goes on. You know, and if you believe the book of Enoch at all, um, which I've quoted it many, many times, the one that has all the KJV references, the one that was translated by a Baptist minister, uh, the blue hardback cover with all the KJV cross-references, it talks about when the um, fallen angels came down, there were specific fallen angels that taught the women to do specific things. And there was one specific fallen angel in there that taught the women the beautifying of the eyelids. And then it says the use of antimony, which is actually a uh, trace mineral. Uh, but anyway, the beautifying of the eye, of makeup, essentially. And uh, a lot of this stuff that I believe was originally started. Now, again, you look at all this stuff today with all this subject work. We're talking about with piercings. Well, who inspired that originally? Satan. Okay, so I mean, I'm I'm not going to say a whole lot more than that. I can't really be dogmatic, but I'm saying that, that you can make a case for that. And, and you look at all the stuff in here about all these things that were mentioned with, with for the beautifying of a, of a woman. And then God's judgment coming. It's like it always happens that way, it seems like. Well, the woman becomes actually lifted up through pride, why does this say that Lucifer fell? Because of his merchandise and his beauty, he was lifted up. His merchandise, his great wealth and possessions, Lucifer, and his beauty, he was lifted up. Um, you know, that's what a lot of times happens when somebody you know, gets all gussied up and they're, you know, they got all this makeup and all this stuff on there through this beauty, they become lifted up. If it happened to Lucifer, don't think it couldn't happen to you, is all I'm saying. Okay, you make up your own mind, you pray about it, I'm just throwing this stuff out, I'm telling you, I'm just showing you what's in scripture. It's, I think it's pretty clear and apparent. But anyway, um, let it be with a hidden man of the heart, uh, Okay, so, let it be with a hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves. I mean, you go back a hundred years ago, and the use of, I mean, if you were to go into, like, let's say, a Bible-believing Christian church. I won't even put a label on it. hundred years ago. You know the women in that particular setting, I would almost guarantee you, dressed very conservatively. I mean, long dresses, they were fully covered. I saw, um, like, one time I was watching a show, and it was a, some pictures that um, were like, 
this guy was going to buy because he was uh, like a picker, like one of those guys that go around and, and, and buy old antique items and stuff like that. And he found these pictures and this guy had, and they were supposedly like pornography or something. These women were fully clothed. And they were like, they had like these, they were dressed, they had like, dressed like they were going to go fencing. And they were fully clothed. But I guess it was very risque for the time period, which was, I don't know, early 1900s? And I'm thinking, my word, I mean, the, the, compared to today's day and age, I mean, this they would be dressed conservatively. And so you have to look at, okay, are we are we so much better than they were even... 50 or 100 years ago, or we so much holier. You have to look at how Satan's devices have potentially crept in and corrupted things. And even though you may have been brought up in a certain way, the Bible says, to seek ye the old paths, wherein is wisdom. Okay? And I think the Bible is real clear here. Um, just if you look at 1 Peter 3, 1 through 5 alone, on the way that a uh, woman may want to potentially dress there. Okay, I wanted to just read you that part in um, Enoch that talked about this particular subject. And Taylor asked me, she was like, well, does that mean all women are just supposed to go around looking like garbage? And I said, I'm like, no, I didn't say that. No, I think you should take care of yourself. I mean, it is the temple of the Holy Ghost and, and these types of things. And, and no, obviously, I'm not meaning to imply that, okay, that we don't take care of ourselves or be, you know, you know, concern about the way you look. I mean, I, I think that that's a reflection on on you as a person, obviously. I mean, if you go around looking like a bum or whatever, I'm not saying that either. Okay? It's just that this is a subject that is never, ever talked about in the churches, as well as many subjects that I get into. I mean, most of the stuff we're talking about today is never even brushed upon. I'm just trying to give you some obvious things that the Bible clearly talks about, and I really didn't want to turn this into a study on that. But just to give you some more, and I'm not, I'm not saying that Enoch is is the Bible or the canon of Scripture, okay, but the, the Bible does reference the book of Enoch. Um, and Enoch references the KJV Bible in so many places as far as verses that confirm things. There's a lot of cross-confirmation between the two. Um, chapter 8, it says, and Azel, Azazel, which is one of the fallen angels, taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates, made known to them to the metals of the earth and the art of working them. And bracelets and ornaments, so bracelets and ornaments, and the use of antimony, which is a metallic ore of primary sulfur combined with some metal, and the beautifying of the eyelids, and all kinds of costly stones, and of coloring tinctures. Which is a lot of the kind of stuff that we just talked about in the Bible, particularly with, with the women, that God, you know, we listed them out, and then God's judgment comes. Okay, so, again, you have so much of that in today's day and age. You have so much of, you know, go to the, uh, it's part of the stores where, like, makeup is sold. And in all these different stores where, where you know, hair coloring and makeup, and, and it's just vast, 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 vast sections that are devoted toward that. And, you know, you're going to have to make up your own mind about it, but I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just... Um, let me just read this full context. It says, okay, the art of working them and bracelets and ornaments and the use of antimony and the beautifying of the eyelids, which would be like, I don't know, what do you call that? Mascara or something? What? I can't read lips. Anyway, and the beautifying of the eyelids and all kind of costly stones and the coloring of tinctures. And there arose much godlessness and they committed fornication and were led astray. Okay, so what was the fruit of all that? Much godlessness. They committed fornication. The women were doing all this stuff and attracting men for the wrong reasons, and then what was the result of that? Fornication. You also had the fallen angels literally fornicating with the women producing this race of giants. And then it goes on to talk about how each fallen angel taught 
the women and the mankind different things. I mean, it says in the previous verse, it says, and all, all the others together with them took unto them wives. This is basically an expansion of Genesis 6. Each, I mean, each fallen angel, each chose for himself one, and they began to go into them and to defile themselves with them. And they taught them charms and enchantments. What did the fallen angels first do with the women they fornicated with? They taught them witchcraft. They taught them charms. Now, I don't mean lucky charms. I'm talking about charms. Uh, you know, witchcraft. Enchantments. And the cuttings of roots. Which where, you know, you, you see like the old witch around the cauldron. Eye of Newton. Tail of whatever. You know. The cutting of roots and made them acquainted with plants. And they became pregnant. And they bear them great giants. Which is, which is exactly what Genesis 6 says. Who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. They were, became cannibalistic. Now, I've talked about that before. And they began to sin against the birds and the beasts and the reptiles and the fish and to devour one another's flesh and to drink the blood. You know, sounds like a lot of the genetic garbage they're doing today. They're defiling birds, beasts, reptiles, fish, everything. The plants, everything. Anything having to do with God's creation, Satan wants to defile it. It was no different back then, and Jesus Christ said, as it was in the days of Noah, which is what we're talking about now, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, which is where we're on the cusp of. So, anyway, um, you know, I'm not trying to step on toes, I'm not trying to make people mad, I'm not trying to condemn people, I'm just saying, I mean, I read this stuff, and this is what's just obviously kind of popping out through scriptures at me. And uh, so you you have, that's between you and the Lord. You know, if this is the first time you've heard this, you know, take it to prayer, go to these Bible verses, you know, study them, pray about them, and see where God would lead you. Don't, you know, do what the Lord Jesus Christ tells you to do. But I think there's some real obvious things we could be looking at here. Regarding this particular subject. Now, oh, let's see here. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and end part two here. And uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Go more into tattoos next. And um, we're going to go ahead and end part two. We'll go to part three next. And God bless you.